This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Product Coffee, the Denver Startup Week Live Edition. This is a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us in leveling up your career 30 minutes at a time. There it goes. You can go to the next one. Well, so we have a maybe QR code here. No login required. You can scan this if you'd like to participate in the conversation. While we're chatting, you can send questions, thought-provoking statements, and we'll do our best to incorporate them into our coffee chat. Today, we're going to dive into a topic we've listed as coordination and communication in unprecedented times following unprecedented times. You know that phrase that open and close every strategy meeting for longer than we'd like to remember? We're not convinced that unprecedented times have ended just yet, and today we're going to have a candid and open-minded conversation as we explore what is and isn't working for us when it comes to the way our teams are distributed. Let's get started with some intros. Could you each share with us who you are, what you're working on, and how your teams are currently distributed? Sure, I can kick it off. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. My name is Jake Worland. I'm the Senior Director of Product for Ibotta's B2B product team. Ibotta is a local headquartered in Denver company. We are a performance marketing platform connecting all the big brands with millions of consumers across the country. You may know us through our direct-to-consumer applications, our mobile app, our website, our browser extension. We've also been recently really pivoting into more of a B2B play by powering the rewards programs of mom-and-pop retailers like Walmart. So yeah, excited to be here today and talk a little bit about how we communicate in a hybrid world. Hi, everyone. My name is Jody Mesa, and I am the Vice President of Product Management and Design at a company called Speckett, also started here in Denver, but we are globally diverse. I'm about to go visit my team in Karachi, Pakistan at the end of October, which I'm very excited about. So we have been through the whole gamut and excited to have a conversation. Speckett, if you haven't heard of us, we are an educational technology tool. And so we sit on top of all the applications that your team uses every day, starting mainly with Salesforce or a Series B company. So we're just getting started on this journey and we help your teams find the information that they need in the flow of work so that they don't have to go to the, their traditional LMS systems or their CMS systems. We use a lot of artificial intelligence to bring that content right to you in the moment of need based on what you're doing and who you are. So that's where I've been there for about two years and that was working. I bought as a head of product previously with these wonderful people. And yeah, just excited to have a good open conversation today. It's a challenge we're all facing since the beginning of the pandemic, and it's just gotten even more interesting in the, the recent couple of years. So, all right. Thanks, Jody. Uh, my name is Patrick Kuchkowski. I'm a senior product manager at Guild, more commonly known as Guild Education. So our focus is unlocking opportunity for millions of workers. So you may have seen Chipotle or Walmart and heard or seen pamphlets out there that basically say, come join our workforce, go earn your undergrad or master's for free. That is essentially what Guild does. We are connecting employers and their employees with the opportunity to go back and earn a debt-free degrees, 
and really upskill or earn certificates as desired. So excited to jump into the topic. Yeah. And I'm Lindsay Thrift. I'm the head of delivery for Focus Labs. We are a modern software consultancy that helps mid-sized enterprises unlock legacy. And what I mean by that is we dive right into the messy middle of all those technologies in your ecosystem that simultaneously run the business and hold it back. We help teams and leaders really unlock and deliver the modern experiences they want to be giving to their customers. Our teams are also fully distributed. We're headquartered in Chicago. We have a small office in Denver. And on any given day, we've got 10 to 20% of our staff working out of an office and everyone else working in the place of their choosing. And then we're occasionally getting folks together with clients. We're either strategizing, working on projects, or building some of that team connective tissue. And then twice a year, we get together for what we call our IRLs, or the time that we spend bonding as a team and doing the training that just is the same over Zoom. Uh, so with that, now that you know who we are, for those of you that have joined us as we've been doing our intros, we've got a QR code up on the screen. You're welcome to scan that. No login required. We love your participation in our conversation today. So we're having a cup of coffee together, proverbially in the afternoon on a Monday, and we would love to engage your thoughts and questions as we get into the conversation. So with that, let's chat a bit about what our journey's been over the last few years. Where did you go from, we all went remote in, the early, in early 2020. Where have you been since? What's the journey been like? All right, as the person with the other microphone, I'll go first. So when the pandemic struck, I was actually at Ibotta. And so just like everybody, we shuttered the office pretty quickly. I ended up leaving Ibotta about a year in and went over to Guild. Guild had also made a transition as another local business and had essentially shuttered the office. Over time, that involved the company migrating to a remote first uh, approach, which is kind of where we are today. So really focused on what we call heads down and heads up work. So heads up being come into the office or come into a small group setting and really focus on getting collaborative work accomplished. Heads down is you're going to be your traditional, hey, I'm working on a project or I'm working on something specifically. Uh, but that transition has been a steady one. So for Guild, that meant shuttering offices and meant closing different floors and making it really clear that we are focusing on that hybrid and remote first environment. So definitely a shift, especially from an onboarding perspective, going from a company where uh, we did onboarding in person and then to be onboarded remote was quite the shift for me. And then I also started this journey, Ivada. So shutting down the office from a very, very collaborative, like we were such a group where there were just whiteboards everywhere, you know, and going to a place where you had to go find these team huddles and, and make that experience happen more remotely. It was a really interesting journey. And then the office that the, the company I'm at now, Speckit, uh, they also were a very small team uh, located here, Series A company at the time. And they, but then they also, their co the other co-founder was from Pakistan. And so they, they always kind of had this global presence and this remote challenge. And I would say that, you know, having been able to learn from other companies as they were going through this only made that collaboration better and stronger over time. But it really has always been uh, a part of the, the common thread for this company. And so we've also been finding just additional ways on getting together. We get together uh, twice a year in Pakistan. We get together twice a year in the U.S. And then I'll fly out to customers and things like that. We'll have a group of people that do that. My entire PM team. Uh, we send them out to conferences to kind of do the work on the floor. Uh, our customers are salespeople mostly. And so being able to really experience that is important. So we're trying to find as many ways as possible to replicate some of those experiences that you have 
in the office and collaborate that way. But, you know, as Lydia had mentioned, finding really intentional times for you to get together and collaborate the way that we, the way that we used to, and we find those moments to be, you know, really spark a lot of ideas and innovation. And if you can really find a way to facilitate those in a, in a great way, it's really, really meaningful and really energizing, creating that connective tissue with the rest of the organization. Well, I'm still at iBot. And those whiteboards are still there. Yeah, so in March 2020, we all went home and said, we'll see you in two weeks. We all know how that turned out. It wound up being close to a year before people started coming back into the office, at least at Ibotta. And over that time since then, it's, it's been a true journey. I think before the pandemic, Ibotta really prided itself on being local and hiring local and bringing people into the office. And you were expected to come into the office. And I would say about 95% of the company was coming into the office five days a week. That changed overnight and it changed our business overnight as well. Ibotta is a company that relies on people going to the grocery store. That's where we solve problems for people every day. When people stopped doing that, it made us rethink our business in a big, big way and shifting more towards online grocery. But as, as we started coming back into the office, we found that we now have people at Ibotta who are working from 40 plus states around the country. So it's a little bit harder to do that and bring people back in. So the company has really had to rethink how we approach collaboration, how we approach communication, how we approach alignment, how we approach culture building. It, it totally changed everything for the company. And so it's been a journey. We're still figuring it out. We'll dive into it a little bit more. We're at a point now where we have what we call high value office days, essentially where we encourage anyone local to come in Tuesday, Tuesday and Thursday. And there are some events that we try to put on to encourage people to come in. But by and large, it's very much a hybrid company now. So it's really changed over the last couple of years. And I've never been at Ibotta. So <laughs> um, I, for me, it started, you know, this transition from fully in-person. I was at Pivotal Labs when uh, COVID struck. And that was a heavily only in-person. Our clients actually came to our office from nine to five or eight to five. It was very structured. And obviously COVID flipped that upside down. And in the years since then, I've moved on and worked in a product company that was globally distributed. Um, they worked in the Web3 and crypto space and uh, were fully remote. Uh, and even then we found ourselves getting together in person. The moment that uh, it felt safe to travel again and gather in person, um, we got into that space and we, uh, we we'll, and we'll get into this more later, I'm sure, but found kind of some runway with the time we spent together get together for a period of time and, you know, we would stay really aligned and connected until it was time to get together again. And, and now where I'm at Focused, Focus Labs started just before the pandemic. And so in many ways is inherently remote, but we are same. We, we've been getting our team together twice a year for these IRLs. And as things have felt good to get in person again, clients are asking us to get together in person and they're asking, will you come to our office? We have our people in the office. Will you come work with us again? So it feels like a, a new inflection point and maybe a bit of an identity crisis for understanding what, how and should we be, how, what should we be doing? How should we be working? And I, I'm curious, I shared some of mine, but like, what are the macro pressures for you all? It sounds like we all are sharing this experience of like some amount of back in person. None of us stayed fully remote. What are the, what are the things that are driving you back to the office or in person if it's not in the office? I guess I'll go first. <laughs> I think, again, product management is one of the most collaborative fields that you can go into. You literally can't do your job on your own. You have to get in with other stakeholders, subject matter experts, customers, 
And so this pressure and this, you know, this really this being able to find ways where you can have those conversations and get together. There's just a lot of empathy building that can happen. There's a lot of ideation. It's just really hard to replicate in a remote environment. Although we found some great ways. I see Mandy's here, who's one of the most fantastic uh, remote facilitators I've ever worked with, but learned a ton from her. But, you know, it's just, it's when you can find those moments and you can come together and define a really a really tangible problem that you're trying to solve, get the right people in the right room, you can just do things so much faster than you can make decisions more quickly. And so that's really the pressure, especially in just the socioeconomic environment that we are today. Like taking twice as long or three times as long to make a decision can really be the difference between winning or not. And so how can you find those key moments and make sure you're leveraging your time together as much as possible has been uh, a huge, a huge pressure. And everyone is now a facilitator. I don't know any of you who didn't used to facilitate these types of conversations. And now you're building workshops and everything. We've all become like experts at workshop building, right? And so that's been something that I think has been a really valuable skill set, but, you know, is, is something that you just kind of had to figure out in the moment as you were going. Yeah, I think plus one of that, what I would add is what we've, one of the big things we've learned at Ibotta is that there are some tasks and activities where working at home and by yourself and not having to walk from room to room to go from meeting to meeting is awesome. Like there are lots of studies out there. Productivity is way up. But when we start talking about group productivity and collaboration sessions and creative conversations and workshops, that gets really, really hard when you're online and you're on a Zoom and you're all kind of talking over each other and looking for the yellow box to light up. And you're like, oh God, sorry, you're muted. I know. So yeah, lots of learnings in terms of it's not, there's, there's pros and cons to each different method. And I think it's been a multi-year learning exercise to figure out which ones, which of those activities make the most sense in person. I wanted to chime into the facilitation piece, the workshops, because I think we all had a tolerance for meetings that sucked that was much higher when we were in person. I think that, I really think that's driving this, like we're all becoming facilitators because you sit on meeting after meeting after meeting, you these have to suck less. Like, and now... And then somehow as product managers, we become the de facto facilitators often and put it that way. Going back kind of the macro question, definitely just reemphasize everything we've said. I think the one thing we haven't really touched on, and it's kind of inherent in the answer, which is collaboration, is oftentimes remote, we tend to get into our pillars and become very isolated and only think vertically. So we're only building features and we're oftentimes shipping our, our own org charts. So we're not necessarily breaking out Whereas when we weren't remote or we're finding opportunities to come together and collaborate, what we're doing was we're bringing in stakeholders and folks that aren't part of the normal conversation. And I think when you are remote, it is very easy to forget about that person who sits on marketing that you haven't had an organic conversation with in six months or that sales person who should be there and should be represented in your strategy and in your early planning conversations, but probably isn't represented. So losing sight of the other stakeholders in favor of just meeting, hey, is my boss or my boss or the lateral, you know, product managers and product leaders adjacent to me brought up to speed is one of the things I've definitely noticed. Are you doing that through like structured times together, like asking people to come in and have a meeting and align? Or are you finding that happen through more organic, like Tuesday, Thursday, everyone comes to the office or high value days as they're calling them at Ibotta? Yeah, for us, because we remain remote first, it's a little bit more of a challenge. So you're having to stretch. You're having to go and find those conversations. It'll just concluded our own IRLs. We do this once a year. 
but it's much more focused on your department breakouts and strategy sessions inside of that. The thing we've started doing is what we call an initiative planning conference or an IPC, which happens midway through the quarter. And that quite literally turns into like a day and a half of reading product briefs and having product discussions with those folks. So you're making sure, hey, I'm going to have a conversation. This is likely to touch on, you know, marketing, for instance, or like our enrollment funnel or something along those lines. I should be intentionally bringing folks in. But that is a learned skill and talking about, you know, having to plan and orchestrate things. That's a huge orchestration, a huge expense for the company to make that happen. And sometimes can suck if we're not careful. Audience is curious, what's making these in-person days valuable? Like how, how do we define them high value and how do we make them valuable? It sounds like Guild is accomplishing this through keeping remote working. I'm wondering for those of us that are bringing people back in person, what makes it high value that you're not getting remotely? Yeah, I think what, one of the things that's really interesting is every six months, Ibotta runs an internal engagement survey where it's just a kind of, how are you doing? How are you feeling about your work experience? How can we get better effectively? Pulse check with all of our employees. And the last time we asked this question, which was, what, what is preventing you from coming back into the office one or two days a week? The number one is I answer across the companies, I prefer my home environment. But a close number two is my team isn't in the office. So it's a chicken or the egg problem to getting people back in. Because once everyone is in the office, people love it. We have, just like Guild and, and Focus Labs and Spec, we have these IRL events. We don't call them that. Maybe y'all trademarked it. I don't know. But we do bring the whole company in from across the country twice a year. And those are these massive culture building. Yes, we do strategy. Yes, we have town halls. Yes, we have team breakouts to do some of this planning. But it's also incredible culture building and team bonding and connection building opportunities. You just can't do it the same way on Zoom. And so when we bring people in, a lot of that value just comes from staying high and giving somebody a hug or just getting into a room and chatting about life. Like you can't build the same level of connection on a Zoom call that you can in person. And really how that translates into the work is trust. You develop these stronger bonds. You develop this trust with the people around you. And so you can trust them that they're going to make good decisions without you in the room. And oftentimes that is lost or the value of that, I think, is overlooked. And I think we've really learned that over the last couple of years as we've all gone remote and that water cooler talk isn't all bad. Like there is a little value of it. And I will stand up and defend water cooler talk for this one reason. I'm definitely pro water cooler. <laughs> no, I would say, I, you know, to touch on a lot of the same things, I think there's really two pieces that make it successful. It's context and it's connection. And so every time when I think about I'm going into the office and I'm actually going to be like trying to get some of about 20% of our, our workforces here in Denver. So I'm going to be trying to like, you know, bribe people with lunches and happy hours and stuff like that. So that's why we go in the office, right? But I think the most, that's the most important thing you can do is make intentional time. Go have coffee with someone. Go have a walk. Did we all try the like walk and talk thing when you were, or like virtual coffees and you know, it's it's just not the same. And so making time and actually putting that on the calendar, like, let's go for a walk. Let's go do those things. Because those connections and those friendships are really, really important. And it builds a lot of empathy. It builds a lot of trust. The other one is context. I am truly a huge believer in just empowering teams through context, right? How can you, because it can be hard, especially in a remote environment, to be a part of every decision. And so what I think is the best decision-making framework 
is where you can provide as much context as possible so that people, when they go off and they're doing their day-to-day job, we're all marching towards the same flag in the sand, right? We've got the same vision. We're going towards the same information. We know what's important to the company. What are the goals that we're trying to achieve? And at the end of the day, you can come back and talk about the things that you've learned. So every time that I think about going into the office, whether it's one day or it's one of our CKOs, we're doing this huge plan for a whole week that we're going to go spend in Karachi. It's like making sure that it is 50-50, finding connection, connection with one-on-one, connection with teams, connection with cross-functional departments. And so again, and a skill set, I never really thought that I would be doing event planning, but you know, here we are. <laughs> so I think that those are, anytime I we go in person. Those are the two things I really want to focus on. I wanted to plus one, the context point, Jody. I think that's awesome. One of the things that at least I've experienced in working with our B2B product team and the broader product team is that we have to be way more intentional when remote about communicating context. When you're in the office, you're having all these conversations. You're just running into people in the hallway. You are having random conversations with a different department. But when you're remote, you have to intentionally schedule those ceremonies and schedule those meetings. And I think over the last couple of years, a lot of us have figured that out. But there are still times when communication just breaks. And it's harder in some ways to communicate that broader strategic context in where we're going in a remote environment. Because a lot of those conversations, I think, in an office environment are happening more organically. And so remotely, yes, you have to be intentional about setting up those ceremonies. You have to be intentional about doing it in a repetitive way. You have to be intentional about finding that time and setting up that time for folks to create those connections. Whereas in the office, we didn't have to do that. And you don't have to do that in those in-person days because people are just running into each other and be like, hey, let me tell you about this really cool thing we're doing in product marketing over here. Or, hey, did you hear about Kraft Heinz and what they're asking for and this new deal? It's like, yeah, let's talk about it. Cool. That stuff is all unscripted and it's incredibly valuable and hard to recreate a remote environment. What are some of the ways that you maybe found connection remotely? Because we're all still hybrid. So we found some things we did remotely during COVID. Now we're hybrid. Is there anything that's stuck? Anything you're still doing? I'm actually still taking coffee walks, funny enough. I don't call them coffee walks. I'm walking one-on-ones and usually I, I, it's an open rule I have with my direct reports or anyone I work with, I just say, if ever you want to walk away from the screen, you can just slack me before our one-on-one. And sometimes I take the liberty of doing the same. It's beautiful, you know, cool afternoon Colorado weather in the spring. And I, I'll say, hey, do you need me at the screen? And they say, no, I take a walk. I accidentally walked five miles one day doing that. And so that's stuck. I'm still doing it, even though some days I'm in the office. But what about you all? What's stuck? What are you still doing? I think for me, the, the thing is still getting together around shared interests and finding space for that. I have always been passionate about women in leadership and diversity and inclusion and making sure that there's still time to have those conversations. It's harder, you know, when you're when you're remote to have those conversations. Um, but at the same point, like you, we've been able to get amazing remote speakers. Talk, start maybe start talking about some of the opportunities that we've seen with some of the remote some of the remote things that we've done, but being able to make sure that you can still get together around shared interests that's outside of work, things that you're passionate about and having separate goals and separate conversations that that you want to be able to drive those things forward as a culture, I think is still really, really important. That's a good highlight to the balancing of bringing people in person that we were talking about earlier and it's high value and like connection and water cooler talk and all these things. I find when I'm planning IRLs and time in person with my team, I tend to think about could we do this remotely and it have the same impact? And then I take it off the agenda. 
um, because we have realized that there are things that are just as helpful. I try really hard when we get in person to spend as little time as possible looking at a screen. Like that for me has just become, if you're going to sit down and look at a screen and type together, could this have been a remote meeting? I don't know. Maybe that's the 2023 version of could this have been an email? Um, <laughs> but that tends to be my metric now for in-person versus like remote. What, what, which way do I do it? Definitely echo the walks. So been able to continue that a bit. I wish I did it more. Oftentimes we're staring at that Zoom screen for far too often. So definitely break out if you can. One thing we started doing, and I've echoed this over a guild, is giving time for folks to read or view an artifact at the beginning of the meeting. So, so often we're, we're spending time writing a brief, putting together a design, even if it's a Figma or a mirror or something else. And then we get this meeting together and everyone is expected to somehow have pre-read or looked at it. And oftentimes we don't have that opportunity. And so we didn't really do that prior. It was very much, I'm jumping into the I'm walk, walking down the hall in order to have this conversation with folks. And maybe we prepped amongst a small group. We didn't give everybody that opportunity. So just taking five or even 10 minutes sometimes in an hour long meeting to say, we're going to slow down. We're going to reread this brief. Everybody can have that opportunity to reconnect and understand has been a big changer in how people are comprehending what we're talking about and making those conversations meaningful. I love how you're talking about the pre-reads and the post-reads. I used to hate those so much, but it's so valuable in a, a remote environment. One of the things that we've learned is we just don't have time to top to like type things. So, you know, chat GDP is pretty awesome for that. But <laughs> the other thing that I really enjoyed has used, been using Loom videos. I don't know if you guys have started using Loom videos or anything like that, but you're able to have that same kind of connection because you're seeing someone talking to you. Sometimes I'll send jokes out with, the <laughs> with Looms. Um, but, you know, you feel like you're getting that connection with people, but you're not sitting down in a meeting. And it's funny, my 16-year-old daughter will come in all the time and be like, oh my God, what are you listening to? Because I listen to everything at like five times speed so you can get the same context. <laughs> you know, really, really quickly. The other thing that I think has been really helpful is anyone use Chorus or Gong or any of the intelligence, intelligence mapping, like some of that stuff has taken place of meetings. I think you're right because we're trying to find ways to not be at the screen all the time. There was so much fatigue for that. And so that's something you can like listen to, you know, when you're on a walk or something like that, you can listen to, you know, a customer call and getting information there. So if you don't have that, it has been game changing and it helps you stay really close to the customer. But some of those other technologies that have come out of this, I think has been really valuable. And if you're not using it, I would highly recommend it for. So there's like Chorus and Gong are two really famous. They basically, they started with sales teams, but we actually use it with user research so that we can scale user research as well. So like as we do customer calls, we can tag things that are like, hey, this is about this feature or this is about, you know, here's a, a, a pain point that somebody is. So we have different levels of categories and we can go in and just watch a whole, listen to a whole playlist while you're at the gym or, you know, you know, taking a walk. And that's really been helpful. And then, be, you know, Bloom's being able to have that connection. You're recording a whole conversation that would take you forever to type out in Slack. Who loves those walls of Slack in, or walls of text in Slack? Like, I don't know, not me. I don't have the attention for that. <laughs> the attention span, so. Yeah, I think asynchronous communication has become way more important in a remote environment, I think, obviously. But um, curious, just by show of pants, how many of you use Miro? How many of you used Miro before the pandemic? Yeah, there's there's an example right there of how the pandemic has really changed how we do work. Miro, I would just plug as I think the app that has really defined collaboration or one of the apps that's defined collaboration over the last probably two to three years. Um, it is an amazing tool. I'm not 
paid by them or anything. But it's an amazing tool to facilitate a lot of these types of discussions. And they also do this too, where you can now record talk tracks. And a lot of our team members are starting to do that, where if you can't make the meeting because we're all booked in three meetings at once, you can just record a talk track and you can see it play out within that mural and you can walk through the board in a way that makes sense to you. So I think just tools like that have really taken over how we do collaboration in a remote world. I've really enjoyed exploring async versus synchronous communication. I was asked to join a strategic advisory board a couple of weeks ago and I was meeting with the person running it. And he said, we're going to send you a pre-read that when we get into the meeting, we could just talk about the content. I was like, music to my ears, you can sign me up. <laughs> um, and I think that's becoming true of so many meetings. This point was you join the meeting and you have the conversation instead of join the meeting and get the information. And I think I, I have found success in doing that, but it's hard to sometimes get teams transition to it. I find that some people get over, a little overwhelmed, the wall of text and Slack. Like, okay, that's not the best form for some people for sharing that async communication ahead of time. For others, they prefer a Google Doc and to go back and forth. They had a team where we would do like, you know, calls for comments and we would state explicitly this will be open for a week. And then at the end of the week, we'll integrate the comments and then we'll turn that into like the conversation we have when we get back together synchronously. So it's some experimentation um, for me. And I feel like it's been very team by team, what async versus synchronous, like where to leverage them. That would be well. Any other ways you're using async versus synchronous communication? I think we we lean into documentation and consistent documentation a whole lot more than we did in the past. Um, I bought it before the pandemic was a little bit more kind of choose your own adventure in terms of how you communicate and what kind of tools you use for better or worse. There are lots of pros and cons to that. But I think now it's been we've made it a little bit more of an emphasis to set expectations with the team of like, this is the information that we all need and this is how it needs to be presented and where it needs to be shared and when. And it provides a little bit of that structure that may have came more organically in an office environment. When you're home, you you're not in obviously the office, you're in your office, but you're in your home context. And so it can be a little bit isolating, I think, for folks, um, as opposed to being in the office and constantly surrounded by what's happening in the company. So being a little bit more intentional and a little bit more disciplined about what kind of information we document, where our OKRs, how are we thinking about, do we have scrum up scrums? What kind of ceremonies do we have? When do we check in on those things? How do we think about roadmaps? When are those get communicated? Like we've, we had to get just a little bit more disciplined in how we think about that and a little bit more consistent. So anyone who was trying to self-serve that information on their own at home knew where to look and what information they could expect to find. So I think that's that's one bigger change that we've had. But what about y'all? Yeah, so this is the uh, problem in the world that Speckit is here to solve. And so it's been it's been really, really fun uh, to look at this from experiencing it as well as like seeing uh, seeing part of the challenge. Because if you can think about how many times you ask a question in Slack or how many times you've been asked a question in Slack and how it's impossible to find that information. And so I almost feel this like communication operations or product operations and just being a lot more disciplined around this is where you go to get this information. This is where you go to get that information. And, you know, Speckit, the, the way we're trying to solve that is just making that documentation much more in the flow of work so that you don't even have to go to Google Drive and go find something, right? If you're finding, we use Jira a lot, right? And so it's like, we just rolled out new components and we have people who are in all the different places in the world and we want them to use it the right way. And so we can put that information there and we can help drive some of that consistency. 
And we always say like, check it and spec it. So before you, we have a culture of before you ever ask a question, like go check that central knowledge base first. And it may link off to a Google doc. It may link off to, you know, an Excel spreadsheet or something like that, but you can kind of deflect because out of the pandemic, that's the other emerging trend that we saw was just like leaders and managers were just getting hit with so many repetitive questions. It was such a time suck. Right. And so being able to deflect that a little bit and empower your team to get the questions and answers that they need in real time in their flow of work is has been has been something we've been we've been using. I'm a big believer in like, you know, trying to use your own products and learning your own pain points and making it better from that. So definitely echo intentionality. So I think, you know, having been at Ibotta when you're talking about the looseness that would happen, I remember walking into the CEO's office and we're just going to be you know, in Figma for two hours coming up with the designs right then, which is great sometimes because you get real-time feedback, but you can't go out and share like, what was the problem really? Like, how are we thinking about this? What was the alternatives we considered? There's not as much of that rigor or rigorous product thinking that you expect. So as we've been remote, especially now with Guild, I think building good product artifacts with, that have comprehensive product thinking that walks through everything is really valuable. I definitely echo the challenges with centralization. So one of the challenges we had was we were using five, maybe six different tools in order to track where this initiative is, how the initiative is performing. We were using Elastian for Confluence, but not for Jira. We were using a bunch of other things in order to handle velocity and sprint planning, et cetera, or whatever agile methodology you're using. All those resulted in this kind of just cloud of uncertainty. You weren't, you were like, okay, am I going here in order to understand things? Am I using this tool and understand what's going on? So we actually made a big push in order to promote centralization and to make it very clear where to go in order to get that information. One personal note, I write a crap ton of briefs and I'm sure everybody does too. This was always the hardest thing. I feel like Jody right here, she used to be my manager, so she can probably attest to this. Like communication when you're writing briefs is very hard. Like where is this brief? Where are you at in that process? Even something as small as having a confluence page as you're constantly leaking out to like in little descriptions of channels and whatnot saying like, go here, go here, go here has become really, really important. And the, having that clear status of saying like, I'm ready for feedback. This is exactly where you need to go in order to get it has been the game changer. I think for a lot of us that remote work really forced us to do. I think this hearing you talk about that, I think it goes back to something that at least we've learned at Ibotta and that work from home, there are certain types of work that are really good. And usually that's independent work that you can handle on your own. So this whole push to enabling self-serve type content acquisition becomes really important in making work from home successful. So thinking about what kind of work you want to enable at home amongst your team is really important, but also in thinking about, okay, what work do we need to be in a room together? What work do we need a whiteboard? What work do we need to sit around the table and be able to read the body language of other people in the room? And let's make that a priority. And if we need to fly people in to do that, let's do that. But thinking about how you're, how you're playing to the strengths of each working from home and working in person in a hybrid environment is really important. Yeah, that's a really good point. We've actually started an in-person backlog, basically, where it's like, these are the things that have come up in conversations that were like, this would be a really great use of getting people together. And then prioritizing that, prioritizing those conversations based on when you can get together. So yeah, that's... Love that. Are you a product manager? You have a backlog for that? Maybe. Do you two by two it before you get together? Prioritize what you're going to talk about. You know, as this, you know, product coffee group, we often talk about 
measures and metrics and health and like keeping track and get a little meta. So I think we need to go there. We've talked very tactically so far. How are you all measuring teen health? How do you know, you know, that one of the things you hear often in the media about why we should get back in person is because you can keep track of people's productivity. And I don't know, is, do we feel like that's true? Is that helping or how are, you, how are you overall measuring health in this season and, you know, getting the indicators you need? Well, I mentioned it earlier. I bought a runs and engagement survey twice a year, and this is done at the company level. And we ask a bunch of different questions that you can probably expect. Do you get the feedback that you need from your manager? Do you feel like you can accomplish your career goals? But we also ask questions like ENPS, Employee Net Promoter Score. To what extent would you recommend this company as a place to work to family and friends? We also ask a lot of questions about communication. And over the last year, we've really seen some struggling data in communication performance across the company. A lot of people at Ibotta feel like communication just isn't good. And so it's become between teams, I should say. And so the survey has really helped us shine a light on where some of these breakdowns are happening. And we measure this twice a year, and then we put in action plans to try and to try and remediate some of those things and try new strategies. But generally speaking, that's how we measure it. I'm a big believer in the OKR framework. And so Ibotta did this really well and just continuing to build on that. I truly believe that you can measure the impact that teams are having based on how your company is performing. And if you choose really, really good metrics at the end of the day, like, I don't care if you work eight hours or you work three hours. Like if you, if we're having the same results at the end of the day, that's what matters. Right. And so I think that being able to have those, we spend a ridiculous amount of time, like talking about OKRs, are these the right OKRs based on what our business needs from us? Are these the right metrics that we can measure how our team is doing? And so I would say from a business performance perspective, that is, that's been really, really helpful is just making sure, I think I spend more intentionality and more time making sure that those are clearly defined and everybody knows what they are and how they're contributing, how their everyday work and everyday task that they're doing contributes to moving one of those metrics. Not only the kind of the celebration line, but also like the progress metrics. Are you getting closer or further away? We've also taken the idea of the Spotify health check. I know that we we've used to do those on squads and we do that across the whole department as well, as well as the EMPS. I'm like, oh, come on, we're product people. We love, we love our surveys and, and our information. So, and that's been really helpful too, because you can look at all these different metrics and we actually refine those different levers each quarter based on some of the information. So it's like, wow, our code base sucks right now. And that makes everybody really sad. So how can we all contribute to that? And it's not just about engineering. It's about product. Are we prioritizing the right work? You know, are we having fun as a team? Are we connected to our vision and our mission? And all of those different things so that you can make sure that the team is, is invigorated and excited by what they're doing. One of the things that I find really interesting uh, as well since the pandem pandemic is, and kind of the millennial workforce coming into, you know, coming into the workforce and being the majority of the workforce, people are much more purpose-driven. And so as a product leader, whether it's a squad, a department, a portfolio, whatever that is, a global entity, like being able to connect people to that vision is such a challenge, but is really, really important. And making sure that you're doing that intentionally constantly and reminding that. So those are a couple of things that we look at. I look at that metric all the time personally. Like, do you understand what we're doing? Do you understand how your work connects to that? Because at the end of the day, if people don't understand that, it doesn't like you can build, you know, you're not going to build good products for people. Jody, do you set OKRs for not just the business outcomes, but also like internal team health, team 
culture, happiness, productivity, all we that. We do. And we do that as a team. So we basically set up, you know, because I love the tiering, right? So, you know, the, you know, my CEO and, and our VP of finance and the board that we get together and we set really our business goals. And then I work together across, you know, the executive team and say, okay, what are, what is my department and how can we work together to really achieve those things? And then we work with each of the teams and we have this kind of product kata, right? From Melissa Perry, we love doing that where we get together once a quarter and we look at those and we say, what are we going to do? And we take those health metrics, we look at them across with the rest of the engineering and, you know, the engineers and the designers and the product team. We say, wow, it looks like there's a trend and everybody's feeling about this. Okay, let's like put this at the top and let's have a mural board. Let's get together and let's talk about what are some ideas that we can do to actually make that better or worse. And we pick one or two per quarter. If there's one that's like really bad, we'll pick, we'll like really focus in on that. But yeah, we want to make sure that we're that we're making it the great the greatest place to solve problems together. Thinking across probably three things here. So thinking about the culture from the company perspective, Guild uses something called CultureAmp in order to send sometimes semi-weekly conversations, basically like, how are you feeling? Are you energized? And then you can drill into the departments. And so then they typically build out quarterly, similar to, I think, your bi-annually, Jake, that you're filling out, which is how do you get survey respondents at the company to, you know, hit on key metrics you can track and make sure that's moving. We also use the Spotify squad check or health check in order to gauge are people feeling empowered? Do they feel like they're the ones who can actually drive the, I forget all the specific, yeah, pawns versus players. Thank you. So there's a lot of those specific ones that we're trying to focus in on. But I think the bigger question about metrics and what we're shipping the value is still one that we're honestly working through. And I think this is the biggest shift I've seen at most of the startups I've been at is whether it's an OKR or something different, is how do you actually start to track the output or the outcomes? And so you're not just focused on the output. Case in point, I think this last quarter, unfortunately, we went back to leaders and leadership presenting the board, and they basically gave a metric on this is the number of initiatives we delivered this quarter, which as product folks know, that could mean I gave you a paperclip. It doesn't actually translate into value for our clients. And so starting to make the shift towards outcomes is really the key, which OKRs can certainly help with. There's a joke that I saw on Twitter a long time ago that OKRs is actually Google's way of sabotaging early startups because everybody has to try and adopt and understand it, which is somewhat true. But nevertheless, measuring those outcomes is really the key to trying to find that value. So don't focus too much on, hey, I shipped this feature. It's what, what does this feature actually get for a client? Because you may ship something that took you two weeks and it could be more, more impactful than something that took six months. Yeah, I think for me, I'm also seeing that the surprise factor, I want to keep as low as possible. And it's harder to do in the remote setting. And so numbers give me a place to know where I should dig in overall. Like when I can't see everyone and I can't see that team B's morale has been really low because their like heads are hung and their body language says that when they come into the office, like having some sense of like how I can check in. And so scorecards for our teams, they fill out every week that give me a sense of like, oh, that team was like all green for weeks and suddenly they're yellow and then the next week some factors are red. Give me the sense of like, I should, I can dig in there, right? Like helps me prioritize this like limited hybrid time that I have. Can we talk about that for a hot second? Like the separation, I think that's, that's really important, especially as leaders, because the separation from the teams is real. So I'm curious, like, how are you, maybe Jody, to start with you being the head of a product, head of product organization, like how are you keeping a pulse on your team morale and your team happiness and your team culture in any other ways beyond those you've already shared? Yeah, I think, again, the health checks are super 
they're they're really helpful. We have we basically go by squad and they have some information that they fill out, you know, we're and we can just have a conversation with each of the team members as well. One, and we do that once a month, sometimes twice a month depending on depending on honestly how long how much it's needed and how much communication we're rolling out brand new stuff. We try to do that a little more often. The other thing that we've implemented that I love so much. I don't know if anyone's ever used 15.5. It sounds a little bit like what you guys are using as well. But it's really awesome because you have you use it for all of your one-on-one and everybody does a check-in every week. It takes five minutes to fill out, but everyone, so I can see, you know, everyone that reports to me, I can see like people who report to them and just get a sense of like, you know, how are you feeling this week? Are you feeling like a five? Hey, like, you know, we, you know, if we had some people who left the, you know, department or we just rolled something out new and it's still ambiguous, that always leads to a little bit of information. Cause I honestly, like, I love the six month checks and those are super valuable too, but being able to see on a week by week basis, wow, the pulse is going down, right? Like what happened? And you can kind of like retro that in real time and then be able to be able to kind of rectify some of those situations early on. It's really, really helpful. I think you can also more quickly intervene and release pressure um, that you didn't know existed or like a stuck point. Like I, I find that that's just harder to read the room <laughs> when it's remote. And so those little indicators, like rather than finding out at a one-on-one in two weeks that somebody like got buried under water, you know, just like those indicators, the other ones are, I try to keep my team fairly active in Slack on like a not, don't talk about your work basis. Because I can tell the dips and the ups and downs of like people are really chatty and then all of a sudden they're gone. And I like don't hear from them all week and I wonder what happened. And typically it is an indicator that like people are very stressed or underwater somewhere. They're stuck. And it becomes an easy point to like, oh, just like follow up with them. You know, you can remove those blockers, clarify things. But Well, we have covered a lot of ground. It is just about time for us to wrap up. We've been everywhere from where have we been in our journeys, what tools might we use, how are we managing team health, and we always leave our listeners with some homework. So spend our last few minutes, what might folks work on over the next week that they can apply some of these lessons we've learned about hybrid, remote, and in-person working? I think homework that would be really helpful is if you haven't had a chance to do a little bit of a deep dive into your calendar. And really look back. I do it every single month and I go through, I set aside two hours and I look through my calendar and I'm like, what of this work is better async? What of this work is better, more collaborative? And then also look at how you're documenting your process. Again, those operations and things, you know, I'm just a nerd for that stuff and always have been, but it's more important now than ever. Like, where are you documenting something? If you're finding things that are in several different formats that are in several different places, think about it like a product, right? Think about it like how do you make it as user-friendly and self-serve as possible so that all of your stakeholders don't get the surprise me factor and get information. So I think if you did a little bit of an inventory there, I think you, you know, I find that just as like a helpful practice to go through and, you know, you might change some practices and things like that and just make that something, a habit that you do, whether it's once a month or once a quarter, whatever that looks like, because it's constantly shifting and changing. Your teams are constantly shifting and changing. So I would say, I would say that's, that's some homework I would do. I would say, think about the question we answered, which is what were the things that changed and you've kept since going remote or really when the pandemic hit and now as you're moving into a remote or hybrid environment? Why did that matter? Why did it stick? Because that's probably going to give you the insight you need into like what should have been going on before COVID struck that wasn't happening. 
that you need to continue? And then how do you double down on that actually? Whether it's documentation, centralization of those files, making sure that people can access it, et cetera. There was a gap, you probably just didn't acknowledge it. And so take the time to focus on that, figure out what it was. I have two things in cheating. The first one is think about the work that you're asking your team to do and be intentional about playing to the strengths of at-home work and in-person work and really give that good thought. I think the second thing that I would, the question I would ask you is, what are you doing today to understand how your team is doing? Are you, are you seeing Slack chatter? Are you doing surveys? Are you having regular one-on-ones with your team and you're walking, you're getting them away from their computer and you're just asking them how they're doing? I think it's easy to, when you don't see a person in the hallway, it's easy to not check in or see a team operating around you. It's harder to get those signals. So just ask yourself that question. What am I doing today to understand how my team is doing and how can I help them have a little bit of a better experience? Thank you for the homework. I won't leave you with any more. Uh, And it looks like we finished up our coffee so you all can go level up. Thanks for joining us. This has been Product Coffee. Produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover. And who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.